Ladies and gents, my name is Brandon Stover. Welcome to the How to Solve Climate Change course from Plato University. Causes, systems, obstacles, solutions to this global challenge is what you're going to learn here today. When you're ready to learn more skills, join us for free at Plato.University. Let's get started with today's lesson. We'll have our expert guests briefly introduce themselves and their credentials for why they are able to speak to this topic. My name is Daniel Bowdy. I'm a professor of fisheries uh, at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. And I've been in this business about 45 years. And um, I think uh, I can talk about uh, the effect of global warming because uh, I, well, it's part of, it should be part of fisheries research, right? And also because I am, uh, uh, my area of emphasis in terms of biology is studying the effect of warming and the oxygenation of on fish. Can you explain what a fishery is and its relationship to the environment? Uh, a fishery is, is the catching of fish or invertebrates in, in a specific site using a specific gear with a, with a certain fleet. So a fishery is localized. Actually, they were. Now they, they are less localized, but uh, it is the interaction between people and gear and fish and invertebrates artisans. And why would fisheries help to solve climate change? Well, we, we should, we should see first how they contribute to it. Sure. Uh, fisheries contribute to it in the first place through the emission of greenhouse gases for the engine and fisheries until 1880 about were obviously wind and muscle driven, muscle power driven, and steam driven engine where steam driven trawlers were introduced. So in, in, the, in that time around British Isles, and it, it rapidly spread throughout the world. And, and uh, the consumption of fossil fuel caused emissions that correspond perhaps to one to two percent of the world emission. Now you can say it's only one percent, but there are lots of sectors in our economy which contributes a little bit, and this is the sum total of this little bit that has that is causing the problem. That is the first way that said that the fisheries contribute to global warming, and the, this this contribution in is really unwelcome because we could we could generate the same catch with about half or one third of the, of the fleets that we have. In other words, there are too many boats chasing too few fish and, uh, we could reduce the, the size of the fleet very easily and still have the same catch. So that's, that's a way that fisheries could contribute to greenhouse gas burning is not, is by not fishing, by not deploying so many. The second element is it has become, it was discovered actually relatively late, relatively recently, actually, is that fishing, specifically trawl, in other words, push it, pulling a, a big net on the, on the, on the floor of the sea and dragging or dragging in all the fish that, that are in the pathway of, of the, the path of the net. This, this form of fishing steer ups lots of sediment and the quantity of sediment that is dragged is, is billions of tons every year. And that sediment is, contains lots of buried organic carbon because all the, the, the dead, the dead plankton and the fecal, the fecal bits from 
zooplankton and fish goes to the ground and is covered, is gradually used up by, by the virus animal that live on the, on the, on the bottom of the sea, but uh, lots of it is buried. That's the reason why we have petroleum, because after millions of years, this uh, organic substances are turned into petroleum. Now, the, the steaming up of this carbon and the re-release of this carbon into the, into the atmosphere, into the water, and, and hence into the atmosphere, uh, has the effect has an effect that perhaps is uh, more important than the direct emission of the fleet. That is a uh, subject of, of, of research now, it's so, so-called blue carbon. And that is uh, totally scary because the quantity that are released could be very large and, and thus the fisheries contribution to, to organic, to greenhouse gas emission could be bigger. And a third, a third element is the fact that fish in the gut buffer, they, they produce, they produce calcium carbonate in their faces and, uh, they, they reduce the acidity of the ocean, the, the carbon, the, the carbon dioxide that is dissolved in the ocean. And, um, that is very, oh, a smaller effect, but, uh, it, it is still an effect because, uh, now that there are fewer schools of fish and fewer fish out there in the, in the open water and, and there is uh, less of this production of some carbonate and this fixing of, of, of organic, of, of carbon. There are also various other sources of other, other mechanism of carbon sequestration, especially in coastal areas in, 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 in the form of seagrass and fishing has a tendency, especially trawling to destroy seagrass bed. So. That is another element that, that kind of research working on this is working on blue carbon and trying to reestablish the, the habitat and reestablish the, the, the mangrove and, and, and the seagrass bed that have been destroyed. So that's, that's the source of, of, of carbon by, uh, or greenhouse gas by, uh, fisheries. And, uh, the solution is obviously that we don't do these things. And, and talking about, uh, fisheries, uh, the excess effort that we deploy, that is a political problem because, uh, it is, this excess effort is essentially driven by subsidies, by subsidies by countries that want to maintain a fleet, either because the lobbying of the fishing industry or because they want to use the fleet to to assert a position of strength vis-a-vis other maritime nations. Yeah. The subsidies themselves have a, a military origin. In Britain, in the Netherlands, in France, the state subsidized fisheries since the, the 16th century, subsidized sailors, so they would, they would uh, remain sailors even in cases they were, there was not enough fish because they needed the trained sailors to man the, the men of war and in other words, to conduct war. And, and, and they, there's this long tradition of linking fisheries with, let's say, national security is the reason why, is one of the reasons why it's so difficult to get rid of them. And even though political market fanatics and, and conservationists who are usually opposed, 
both agree that subsidies are really the death of fisheries, the worst thing that could happen, but it does. Can you elaborate a little more on how fisheries, the practices can be more sustainable and contribute to this blue carbon and sequestration rather than problem? So trawling, trawling is, which was introduced in the 18, well, actually trawling, trawling existed since about 15th century when a small net was dragged behind a, a sailboat, but really trawling effective trawling was came up with the, with, with the steam driven trawlers. And they were so effective that they, they really punch holes in, in, in ecosystem because the troll can take a whole school of fish in one go. Pelagic trolls can, school of fish. No predator can do that. The, even whales, we, which have this enormous, which have this enormous mouth, they can lurch at, at the school, grab a, a part of it, but then they have to stop because the, the kinetic energy that pushed them, inertia is, that's it, they stop. And then, and then the next, they have to lurch again. And by that time, the school is gone. And so basically the, over the million, over millions of years, the prey and the predator have found a balance and, and industrial fishing has upset the balance because the technologies that we use that we use in uh, fishing, all uh, adapted military technology to find the fish and especially to catch them. And, and the, if we don't manage to step back, we are going to lose them all because we have already reduced the big fish in the world by some say 90% and some, some are right. And the smaller fish, they have maintained themselves at first because of the release of predation pressure. But now we are fishing them for fish meal so we can produce, so can, we can produce fish in aquaculture, which is insane. But because insane because they were available for free. And anyway, so basically we have to turn our fishing back to artisanal forms to, to a smaller, smaller fishery that, that concentrate on a wide range of animals and not only on one school, on one type. And they are essentially, and the benefit would be distributed more evenly along coastlines rather than go to a few fleet owners. And basically this, these debates are going on in, in the, in the scientific literature and among the activists and so on. They are going on, especially because Industrial fishing now has spread in throughout the world and is used to, to basically take a fish in the global south and sell it and, and market it in the global north, in the richer countries. And a big problem of equity has come up. Not global warming, but not global change, but a big problem of equity and it's become worse with time. Are there good examples of areas or solutions now that are helping with these fisheries to make them more sustainable? There is, there is a few countries that run the fishery reasonably well. And one of them is surprisingly US, the US and especially in Alaska. So 
the U.S. has what is now the biggest or second biggest fisheries in terms of catch, pollock, and the the fishing pressure on it is reduced. Is is they have enough boats to to exterminate the population if they wanted to, but uh, the boats that operate there are few, and the biomass of this fish is maintained at a high level. So the the each boat makes lots of money, and altogether this is the biggest fishery in the world. But it is it is run well. The biggest fishery in the world in the fifties, sixties was Canadian, the Canadian uh, Atlantic cod fishery, and it it was a big fishery. It was a big stock, and and at the time when European vessels came, trawlers came from Europe from. Germany, Poland, France, all of them were there, uh, the ex-Soviet Union and so on. They, they launched themselves into this stock and it had produced between 100 and 200,000 tons for 450 years. And uh, it has begun in the 16th century in the beginning. And, and, and all of a sudden the catch was increased to 800,000 tons. And then the population collapsed and now it produced five to 10,000 tons a year. This is a, a, a complete disaster. And, and this is an indication of what you ought to do to, you ought to keep the fishing pressure at a, at a level so low that the, the stock biomass is high. And that, in that context, then you, you have all the benefits you can because you don't need to fish much to, to have a high catch when, when the stock is very high. Where, whereas when the stock is low, if you want to generate your catch, you, you have to search a lot. Each boat has to search and each boat catches little vis-a-vis the, its own fuel consumption. So, so this is insane, but such insanity is widespread and, and is allowed, is, is enabled by subsidization. For fisheries to work more effectively, like the examples you just mentioned, what innovation or policy needs to be put in place? Yeah, innovation, we have too many of them. The, the policy is that the biomass ought to be not reduced below a certain level. And this level is known as that generated to produce maximum sustainable yield. And there are lots of people who think this is an outdated concept and stuff, but actually it provides a nice limit. And if you make sure that the biomass is higher, than that needed to produce maximum sustainable yield, then, then you are, you're in good shape. And in the U.S., they have legislation such that if you ever find and the stocks that you found from the past that were overfished, that whose biomass, whose abundance is less than that required to produce maximum sustainable yield, then you have 10 years to rebuild the stock. And this rebuilding is is achieved by uh, letting the stock grow. That means you don't take much. That means the quota must be, the quota, if any, must be small. So you, you have a, a few years, up to 10 years of small catch or zero catch if necessary. The stock rebuilds and then, you, and then you can begin to fish it at maximum or, or, or some measure, some, some measure of, of exploitation. The, that that type of legislation, only a few countries have it. The European Union has it. Canada also has it. 
In the U.S., it's called the Magnuson-Stevens Act, as we authorized, because at the beginning, it didn't have this, this, all these progressive measures. But the point is that both in Europe and in Canada, they allowed between the determination that there is and the, the establishment of smaller quotas, so it can be a rebuilding. They allowed the ministers to intervene. And the minister always screws up because the minister always has a constituency that wants the fish to be con- continue to be exploited, even even if uh, even if the fishery is requiring subsidies. And and the minister is found is always found to be willing to give subsidies subsidies to, to its constituents. So to his constituents. And so we have a situation where in Canada or in the in countries, the, the rebuilding is not automatic. Whereas in the US, it is semi-automatic. What are the best resources to learn more about fisheries in relation to global warming? Well, there are authors that have written about it. I, I don't know of any single book, but certainly there are good papers and good people. Marin Binsky in the US, Kalum. Roberts in the UK, uh, and so on. Right now, you're speaking to passionate students who want to actually solve problems like these. What top three skills should they study so that they actually have the ability to do so? If they view it as a, as a scientific problem, which is not really, it's the global warming thing is not a scientific issue anymore. It's, it's a problem of policies that have to be changed. And uh, policies are changed by action from below in that case, because clearly uh, the status quo benefits small groups of rich people and the change has to be from below. And what they have to learn is that the way to, to change things is not by virtue displaying. That means using the, the right nouns and the right verbs and the right adverbs and the the, the nonsense that uh, young people are now doing, but uh, un- getting engaged with others into vertical action. You see, m- much, much, much of the virtue displaying is, is, is uh, horizontal. You, you, you do that because you, this is supposed to be good for it. It enhances your status with other friends, right? Your friends and peers. You are progressive. You are using the right now, what in fact, all this doesn't change the damn thing. The, the change things is vertical action. When, when you, when you, when you touch the, the money-making machinery that, that has been organized. So for example, in the, in fisheries, there are lots of people believe that consuming right is changing anything. You, you consume the right fish, you ask the waiter or the waitress. If it, in, in, in the restaurant, you ask if the fish is caught sustainably, you buy a sustainable fish. Well, there is about 3% of the people who care about this and uh, half of them are, are your friends. And so you impress your friend, you are thoughtful and stuff. But this is horizontal. It has no effect whatsoever because the waiter is not going to tell the CEO of the company that to catch the fish differently and or not to fish legally. Whereas distributing leaflets in front of a, a big retailer that says the, the fish that you sell have been caught by slaves 
or which they have in many cases, or modern slavery existed in the high seas, or they have been depolluted and you distribute leaflets, they, you are vertically, you are acting vertically and you, you have prospect of changing things. And distributing leaflets is done always as a group. So you join a group and you join a group and you learn the rope of action of, of, of political change. That, that is what I would, and I do tell to, to student and to young people. I, the virtue displaying is disgusting and it's because it is replacing actually doing something. To practice skills related to this topic, design a proposal for establishing a marine protected area that benefits both fish populations and the overall marine ecosystem. Outline the ecological and economic rationale for your proposal. Thank you for taking the How to Solve Climate Change course. If you want to learn the skills to solve this global challenge, join us for free at Plato.University for exclusive content, extra resources, and actionable exercises with every lesson. This course was produced by Plato University, where students turn passions into purpose and learn skills to change the world. Learn more at Plato.University.